Gary and Kathy serve as elders here at Hilltop Church. And so we have the privilege as he um, gets something going there. I don't know what he's doing. He's, got, he's always like a PowerPoint guy, so got to love him. No, I love it. You provoke us all to, to PowerPoint. All right, Gary, that was your introduction, bro. <laughs> and Gary McDonald, everybody. No. <laughs> it's a small group today, right? Well, can I talk a little bit uh, more? How many are excited to sign up for January's volunteers? Come on. you guys. Listen, listen, can I just say as a pastor, I'm getting a little tired of seeing the same old, same old people come and help every Sunday. Like, this is, if this is your church, come on, play a part, play a role, come and help us, get signed up. I, we're, we're probably a church from anywhere uh, from, I, I would guesstimate, 250 to 300, maybe more, I don't know. But I say that only to say this, is that, we are a big enough church that everyone could serve one Sunday a month, setting up and breaking down. We'd be fine. You could, you could, if everybody, like, we mobilized everyone here, even right here this morning, uh, I would say almost that you would probably only have to serve one Sunday out of the whole month. And that would um, really free up uh, some of us who are serving. Well, not me, because I'll serve every Sunday, but some others who serve every Sunday diligently. So I'd encourage you to sign up for the volunteer. Um, be a part. It's always a fun time. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary McDonald, put your hands together one more time. Uh, good morning. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, I am. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm a bit of a PowerPoint guy, as I think you've learned by now. Um, you're like, okay, good. Although uh, we need to get we need to get an authentic version of PowerPoint on the uh, the church laptop. We're using some open source one, which. Uh, it was an old Cheers. It was an old episode where um, they went out for all-you-could-eat lobster and roast beef, and uh, <laughs> I feel a little bit like uh, so. Hopefully, it didn't mangle the slides. I've I've recently learned I'm performance-oriented, so that might be hard for me. <laughs> but anyways, I'm just gonna pray real quick. Um, uh, Lord, we invite you here. Um, I give myself up. I give this time to you. Um, I pray that your will be done. Um, we so appreciate being here on the first day of the year to start the year. Uh, in the morning of the first day, uh, putting you as the first priority. And that's uh, in some ways a coincidence, but I think it's symbolic, and I embrace that. I hope we all will. Can you hear me okay? Okay, so today I, I thought we would talk about, because um, it's not often you get uh, Sunday on uh, January 1, uh, we would talk about New Year's resolutions. <laughs> And, uh, you know, are they wishful thinking or, or, or a wise reset? And I think there's, um, there's a little bit of each uh, to be learned from there. But also, um, I'm going to try to transition this into uh, what we can take out of, of this idea of a, a New Year's resolution and apply it to our walk of faith for the coming year, but to do it in maybe a, <clears throat> a little bit more high-impact way and, uh, you know, take, take the good parts of it. So let us begin. Hopefully this works. Okay, New Year's resolution. Why do we do them? Um, I don't know where this began, actually. I should have uh, probably checked that out. But um, they, 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 uh, as, far, as long as my lifetime, I can remember New Year's resolutions being a big deal. I don't know. We've got a lot of different cultures here. Is a New Year's resolution a, a common thing in other cultures? Or is this just an American thing? Yeah, okay. So, um, you know... Uh, 
this is something everyone knows what it is, and, and, and it makes sense, right? Um, we're going to talk a little bit about are they effective. I've got some interesting data. Um, I come from kind of a data-driven background, so I like data. And um, how can we look at them from a faith perspective? I think there are some things we can learn and glean, and it might be a little bit different than what you might be anticipating. Okay, so why do we do them? Hey, beginning of the year, it's, it's you know, uh, we were t joking about this last night. The calendar year is, is in some ways an artificial construct. It's just everything runs by the seasons, but, you know, we've set this date, January 1, way back to the Roman times. Um, we start the year off. It's a good chance to reset, restart, and reflect. So it, it's a, you know, as, as any, there's no, you don't have to wait for the New Year's resolution to do something meaningful, um, but <laughs> it, is, it, is a useful, it is a useful boundary. Uh, there clearly are traditions. You know, this is as long as my, um, my lifetime memory, which is a long, long time. Uh, uh, this has been a tradition. Uh, peer pressure, you know. I, um, anyone felt like they've been pressured into a New Year's resolution? You know, you'll be more clean. You will clean up around the house, so on and so forth. Anyone get wrecked, you know, like little hints? <laughs> Um, and, you know, but we're going to start off first, like, what exactly is a New Year's resolution? Okay, I uh, hope you can read this. So, contrary to popular belief, it says, what exactly is a New Year's resolution? It's a to-do list for the first week of January. <laughs> and uh, there's clearly some truth in that, clearly, but uh, not exactly. Uh, resolution is, the definition is a firm decision to do or to not do something. It's an important thing to keep in mind. This things you do, things you don't do. It is taken from um, solve, which is a Latin word. And uh, if you th think of um, solvent, it implies the condition of being loosened back from all hindrances to do something. So that's interesting, right? So actually the word, you know, resolve as well. Um, it implies actually that not only are we embracing something, we're sort of being free to do something, all hindrances. It's a very important thing to keep in mind about what is an effective resolution, which we're going to talk about. Okay, so what are some common ones? And this is where I'll hopefully the, the uh, um, and my daughter made sure that I sourced all this, so this is all legitimate stuff. Um, I didn't just make this up. Um, so here are some, some top, the top 10 New Year's resolutions, okay? First one, lose weight, all right? Um, yeah, so after the holiday binge, I don't know how everybody else feels about this. We live in a, in a land of, of overeating. Um, someone said that was the great American tradition. Uh, but w it is crazy. After the, after the last, you know, excuse me, going back to Thanksgiving, it seems like that's all we've been doing. So you can imagine hitting year-end, like, oh, my goodness, I have to lose some weight. Uh, getting organized, right? So the um, year-end Christmas, whether it's work-related, right, year-end closing the books, whether it's Christmas shopping, whether it's just getting everything organized. Year-end madness, this makes some sense. You would hit the end of the year and you would say, let's get, let's get better organized. Uh, spend less, save more, you know, Christmas shopping sprees, all that. I'm sure you're probably waiting for that uh, January credit card bill with great eagerness. Uh, <laughs> uh, enjoy life to the fullest. Um, you know, I think Christmas time, we've, um, 
I have Apple TV, which I love. So we've been um, watching lots of old movies and whatnot, but you know, watching different versions of A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life. This time of year is a particularly reflective time of year. There's something about that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, in particular for me that just really kind of gets me. And, and this is a good time of the year to reflect. So I think a lot of people would say, you know, am I really enjoying life? Am I really, you know? And Christmas seems like such a happy time, right? So you hit the end of the year and you're like, oh, I want to keep Christmas or that feeling the rest of the year. Staying fit and healthy, you know, see, uh, see number one. Um, these things are all related. Uh, learn something exciting. That's an interesting one. Quit smoking. I was a little surprised by that. Help others in their dreams. Another one which was a little curious. This one really, this one I really found a little puzzling. Um, fall in love. How can, this is like, this is something about this which is just wrong. Okay. How can you resolve to fall in love? Uh, but anyways, I guess you could remove all the hindrances. That's one way to look at it. That's probably for some wisdom in there. Uh, spend more time with family, and you know, clearly um, we can all relate to that. Okay, so this is, uh, you know, you guys all get that? That's, no, no shockers there. So say, um, and they all sound good, right? There's nothing on there you're like, oh, what a stupid idea. They're all good ideas. Are they effective? Okay, so I got some, some, some uh, data for you here. And this is where the, the, the animations might get all screwed up, so I apologize in advance. Um, percent of Americans who usually make New Year's resolutions. 45%. So roughly half of us actually do this. Okay, percent of Americans who, who make a resolution through the first week, okay? 75%, okay, so we've lost a quarter after week one. Um, percent who make a resolution maintained after six months. Okay, we've lost another quarter, so we're down to roughly a half, 46%. Okay, so here's my generation. Um, percent of people over 50 who achieve their resolution each year? 14%. Okay, so the next one is percent of people in their 20s who achieve their resolution each year. So show of hands, who thinks this will be better? Oh, come on. Who thinks it'll be worse? Okay. Surprisingly, almost 40%. That's the earnestness of youth, okay? Or maybe, you know, maybe you do a better job at your resolution. Um, and percent of people who are successful in, in achieving their resolution, resolution, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so this is, this is total, this is everybody. You ready? This is everybody. 8%. Okay. <laughs> All right. So... Are, despite resolutions being a good idea, are the way that most people using them, is it effective? In a word, no. <laughs> All right, so what derails a well-intentioned resolution? Okay, so we've set this up, you know, they're a good idea. Um, how are we doing them? We should, we should, you know, they're not a bad thing to do, but why aren't they working? Um, perhaps they are unrealistic. Perhaps they're not specific enough. Maybe you have no plan for doing it. <laughs> uh, 
And so I'm going to try to bring this around to how this might apply to our walk of faith because, you know, um, if you're going to do this, you might as well do it intentionally. And this will affect, you know, for we're a praying body, so clearly when I think of a lot of this, I think of praying. Um, and uh, we all, you know, hopefully we all pray a lot, but um, being intentional about how we approach our prayer life, being intentional how we approach our, our devotional life, our, our, our ecumenical life, our community life, these things are all important. So let's talk first about being realistic. Um, you know, a, a faith-oriented resolution shouldn't be about how many hours you spend. Um, you know, I'm going to have some kind of out-of-body experience, some spiritual. I mean, hey, these are all good things, right? Um, or even pleasing people, right? The, the authentic desire uh, for anything um, is usually the, the driver for most anything like this is going to be authentic desire, not obligation, okay? And if we look at um, this psalm, which we all know, the one thing psalm, which is appropriate because they just wrapped up yesterday. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I have friends that have this tattooed on their body. Um, this is a, you know, this is, this is, just something I think we can all, you know, as people who are prayerful people, but this speaks to desire. Interestingly, if you take that, the, the root word, the Hebrew there of desired, um, it means to ask, inquire, borrow, or to beg. Okay, so that's an interesting way of looking at this. Is, this is really a deep desire, okay? And I, 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 I tend to use my laptop and you probably don't realize, and when, I, I, when people come and speak and whatnot in the service, I have uh, a software program with all kinds of uh, versions of the Bible. It's called Logos. It's really cool if, you, if you're ever, uh, interested in that sort of thing. Um, but uh, when somebody says something interesting, I usually scribble it down, well, type it down, and it saves. So when I go back and read that verse on my laptop, I can see anybody who's spoken about that verse over time. And this is, this is here, okay? Corey Russell, when he came here, what, two years ago? A year ago. Okay, and Corey said to this verse, the one thing that David could not live without was to know what was on God's heart. He would give everything else up. Okay? So David was, you know, he wrote a lot of stuff. That, you know, he, wrote, he wrote all the, you know, all those psalms. He was king. He did so many good things. We know he did some bad things as well. But, I mean, his, his resolve, his resolution was clearly rooted in desire. Something rooted in desire is much, something you're much more likely to do. And I think about, um, you know, what's realistic, right? So I, I, I'm going to pick on my, my son Noah. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> for a bit here. Okay, when, we were, when Noah was um, in high school... Um, Oftentimes, we would debate the wisdom of education. Um, you know, is it worthwhile? <laughs> what am I going to do with it? <laughs> um, it's stupid, was a common refrain. Um, not everything, obviously, but there was something, you know. They, so setting, a, setting a, a, a resolution or a goal for him to, you know, to, to, um, to excel in certain parts of his academic life uh, was not really... Uh, working that well because there was no desire there. And then he met this young woman named Isabella. <laughs> um, and she, 
She's, she's a native uh, Portuguese speaker. And Noah learned how to speak Portuguese. And, you know, and within five years, he attended the University of Sao Paulo in, in, in Portuguese. Okay? We didn't see the linguistic skills there before that. Um, <laughs> clearly, they were there, right? But you know, his ability to set really a pretty, you know, if you would sit back and say, listen, Noah, in five years, I want you to be fluent in Portuguese, so, so much so that you can attend the Harvard <laughs> of Latin America. I hope I didn't offend anybody by that, but that's what I hear. That this, that, you know, the University of Sao Paulo is considered one of the elite academic institutions in, 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 um, in, in Latin America, and you will be able to attend it in, in, in native Portuguese. You will sit in classes with lectures and instru instruction every day, no English, anything. And if I had said that to him as a, I don't know, a sophomore in junior in high school, he would have looked at me like I'd lost my mind. But something intervened, which created desire. Okay. Okay, let's, the next one is be specific. Okay, sorry. And for those you can't see this, it's, uh, it's, really, it's, it's kind of a cool picture of a cat at a beauty contest with a lot of mascara on who's crying. Um, and I'm saying here, praying for world peace is too vague, unless you're in a beauty contest. Um, that's the running joke. I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not. This is like an American thing. Like every time they would have the question and answer part of a beauty contest, they say, "What do you care about? World peace." Like, well, what does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? You know. So when you think about a resolution, you want to have something that is impactful, something that you can connect to, something that's actually measurable. You know, if you, you want to embrace the issue in a way which you can actually understand it and, and take something that is like, oh, I can get that. You know, so I'll, I'll, just, um, I'll just throw one out here. I've heard people pray for revival. Okay? And we all think that's a great idea. But what does that mean? What does that mean for you? Right? None of us have seen one. So we can we can see, we can see them in other parts, you know, in Wales and India, um, but you know, part of it is okay. Wrestle with that, wrestle with that. What does revival mean to you? Your community, your school, your family, your friends, yourself. <laughs> you know, I mean, what does that mean? Um, so you know, if you make something so big, like I want world peace. Well, if you really care about world peace, maybe you say, well, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to pray for Syria. So just some things that I, you know, in praying, you know, personal, I will pray for my issue. It's kind of a thing I would just challenge everybody. If you're going to think of a resolution for yourself, it's always good to put somebody else on, you know, don't make this so self-absorbed. Resolutions, I think, are, can become very uh, self-oriented. Your, your community, you know, pray for your local leaders, your schools, your churches, etc. I mean, if you had a heart and you could connect with a school, I know Kathy has done this and, you know, focus on a specific teacher, right, community. And if you're going to, you know, pray for the country, pray for, you know, pray for the president, pray for, you know, uh, movements, regions, you know, global things, you know, re global revival, gospel being spread, other nations, specific missionaries. So part of, you know, you, these are, I mean, there's no shortage of things that you can, get your, 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 you know, your head and your arms around, but I think you need to spend the time to be specific about it.
And that part of that journey, I think, is probably really helpful, really helpful to understand sort of what it is that God has called you to do. And here's an interesting thing, and you know, I'm not a, I like the Patriots, but um, so this, it says this, uh, God is in control, just do your part, do your job. Um, it's this big thing that the Patriots talk about, and I'm not trying to make the Patriots out into some sort of spiritual phenomenon, but um, there is some real wisdom in what this do your job part means, okay? It means God is in control, and you have your role to play. And understanding what your role to play is in the bigger picture is a really big deal. That's a real sign of, of I think, maturity and understanding and letting God um, be in control. So like in, the, in the situation with the patriots, what it means for them, and this is an interesting metaphor, is that they, you know, on any given time, on a football field, there are uh, 11 players, right? No, 11, right? And um, that's a lot of people, and the other team has 11, right? So football is a lot like a military contest, which is why men love it so much. And... It, that's absolutely true. And uh, the, um, all those positions all are doing something different, right? They're all doing something different. And they actually have grids and gaps, and one guy's supposed to go in gap A and B, and this guy's supposed to go here, and all the plays change every single time. And so what the Patriots say is, okay, you're this guy, you're a linebacker or a lineman, and you're supposed to do this, and you only do that. That's what you do. And if you do that well, you've done your job, you've done a good job, well done. If you start to freelance and do somebody else's job, or try to do two jobs, things typically don't go well. When things are low intensity and not that big of an impact, this, you know, people can run around and do things, and, and maybe do multiple jobs. But when you're really having impact, you really can only do your job. Okay, that, that, think about that. So there was a guy in the Patriots, uh, his name Jamie Collins? Okay, and he I'm not going to dump on Jamie Collins, but Jamie Collins was a, was a bit of... Jamie Collins was an all-star, okay? Absolute freak athletically. Six, five, 200 and something pounds, could run faster than any of us. Um, just an absolute athletic specimen. Uh, had made the Pro Bowl, which is the, the football uh, all-star team. And in the middle of the year, out of the blue, the Patriots traded him. Just got rid of him. They traded him to Cleveland, which, yeah, <laughs> right? So who was 1-15 in 15, uh, this year? Um, they took an all-star, and they got rid of him because he wasn't doing his job. And they haven't come quite out and said it, but it was pretty obvious to be watching is that he was trying to do other people's jobs. So there's something about this which is, and you know, Bill Belichick is a little bit like the, the Dark Lord, but... There's some real wisdom in that, okay? So um, this idea of God's in, the, in control. And this, I have so many, Kathy and I have so many examples of this in our life where we're off doing something that seems, we know we're supposed to do it, but it seems seemingly random or not connected. And next thing you know, bang, God just brings it all together. I mean, a lot of how we've ended up here is like that. You know, we were running in parallel for years and years and years with you guys. And doing, you know, building up the things that God had us doing. And so the, let God be in charge. But the key is understand your job. Okay, a plan is always a good idea. And not just because I'm plan focused, but uh, actually it's to the point now where if something's not on my plan, it probably doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, having a plan is, is a good idea. 
Because when you have a plan, a plan is all about your priorities. If you put it on your plan, it matters. You plan what you value and anticipate. It's powerful. You may just you know, think, oh, I'm just you know, writing things down on a piece of paper, but the fact that you're writing them down on a piece of paper says something. It means something. It organizes you, obviously, but it also grounds you. If you're gonna have a plan, make it noticeable and regular. So don't make a plan and put it under your bed in a cabinet. You know, the, the really, excuse me, the really great thing with technology today, and I'm, I'm a total geek on this stuff, is you have lots of tools for, for your plans. Um, you have apps, you know, your calendar, your notes, reminders. You have friends that can help remind you. If you have friends you can be accountable to. And, you know, sticky notes, et cetera. Right? Um, so use all the tools you have. I mean, that's one of the benefits of living in a modern culture. We're online. There's, you know, I turn my computer on. Guess what's the first thing I see? I see two things when I turn my computer on. I see my calendar and I see my reminders. I see my plan. Right, so use it. Use it, use it, use it. There's no, you know, it's helpful. It's helpful and it's powerful. And this is something we're going to kind of talk about. It's a little bit like um, the first uh, comment we made about desire. When in doubt, when in doubt, keep it simple and see the man. Who do you think the man is? Be grounded in Jesus. Okay, the first commandment, right? Understand this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Okay, so this is actually a, a good test of your resolution. If it somehow is competing with this or, or not aligned with this, you, you probably have a problem. Okay? But this is, you know, this is the whole thing. This, everything we do is about Jesus. It's, we try to make some these things overly complicated at times, but that's, that's, that's all we're doing. And I was watching the one thing thing in... Uh, you know, uh, David, uh, Mark, what is it, Helser, Helser, the guy from North Carolina, um, he comes out and he says, we're just going to say the name of Jesus, and that just changes everything, and it does. It does. So this is something I used to always quiz Noah on, but I still love it. Um, what is the chief end of man? It's the Westminster Short Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I mean, that's a good tattoo. Right? <laughs> But the thing I think people lose sight of is, um, do you enjoy him forever? Do you really, you know, again, getting back to desire. Okay, this goes back to, well, I don't know, it's old, <laughs> like a thousand years uh, or more. Um, so it's not like this is some modern thing, oh, we're getting all loosey-goosey now, it's all about how I feel and enjoyment. And No, this is, you know, this is back when, you know, people lived in mud huts and didn't have a lot of anything. Most people didn't read, and they still thought man's chief end was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, this is really, really key. So I'm going to, this is, a, hopefully this is going to be hard for anybody listening, but I'm going to show you a painting. Okay, this is one of my favorite paintings. And this is uh, called St. Bernard um, with the Crucified Christ. And the guy down below is Bernard of Clairvaux. Show of hands. Anyone heard of him? Okay. Um, the guy above, hopefully you all recognize. Uh, it's a little hard to see. Um, this is um, the crucified Christ coming down from the cross. Uh, 
Bernard of Clairvaux was a French abbot. About 1100 AD, he was born. Uh, so it's been a long time ago. This painting is from a Spanish uh, guy named Francisco Ribalta. It was painted in the mid-1600s. It's in a um, gallery in Madrid. And uh, Bernard of Clairvaux was an amazing person. And uh, if you, we don't really have anyone like him, but today he'd be the equivalent of a combination of the UN Secretary of State, the Pope, uh, sorry, the UN Secretary General, the Pope, and the, probably the United States Secretary of State, or like the EU Secretary of State, a bunch of countries. During his lifetime, uh, they, they, this was huge turmoil in Europe. Um, they had popes, anti-popes, if there was such a thing. Um, the, the whole civilization was becoming more urban. Um, there were, uh, uh, he uh, managed uh, the, the complete fundraising for the Second Crusade. That may be a good or bad thing, depending on your view of this, but it's, it's amazing that he did it. Uh, he wrote the outline for the, um, the Templar Knights. Uh, he facilitated treaties between all the nations of Europe. Uh, he helped select um, um, a whole bunch of um, church rules. He only lived 63 years, and he had more, you know, his, his sort of secular or governmental impact is massive. But this is interesting. 600 years later, the painting of him, he's one of the, one of the true contemplative masters of church history. Um, his teachings, he, he, he wrote over 90 um, sermons on Song of Songs. So it wasn't Mike Bickle who found that. I mean, this was something that, um, and again, 1100. Uh, he brought back um, scripture devotions, which were, you know, he, he did so much in his own very humble prayer life. He was, a, he was an abbot. He, he was a monk. And this picture shows him, you know, in the arms of the crucified Jesus because he, he had all these um, uh, teachings on the cross of Christ. He really was one of the key figures of, of really getting people to understand that. So again, you have a person here who made incredible, incredible. I mean, you can't, in 62, I mean, I'm, I'm just glossing over lots and lots of these things. If you go to his Wikipedia page, it's, it goes on and on and on and on, all the things he did. But rooted in all that was his desire. That's why I love this painting so much. This was one of the most influential human beings in, in, in history. But what really drove him was his desire, his desire for, for Jesus. And it really does speak to kind of how powerful you can be <laughs> if you have that. All right, so you all with me so far? So what might a simple, realistic, and powerful New Year's resolution look like? So we're going to skip all the top ten ones here because we are in church. You can have more than one. Okay, so I'm going to try to make this really simple, right? So, each day, I will think of you. Okay, Matthew's Roman 12 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Has anyone ever gone a full day, and at, you know, like when, when their head is hitting the pillow, probably after a very strenuous, probably busy day, realized you haven't thought of God once? Am I the only one who's done that? <laughs> Okay, it's, it's, it happens, right? But you have to understand, God's way and the world's way aren't the same thing. 
they are actually at, at war with each other. And if you, if you are wise, you will recognize this. And a good New Year's resolution, again, I think one we can all embrace and understand and keep, is I will think of you. I will stop at some point during the day. And I will just say, hmm, this is not the reality that I embrace. I embrace your reality. That can change your thoughts, your attitude. I've seen it change the spiritual environment of the people I'm around. It's powerful. And, you know, it might even actually be hard, right? Sometimes it's like, stop, 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 stop. I don't want to go on. We call it a Nantucket sleigh ride. I don't want to go on this. You know what that is, Nantucket sleigh ride? I've heard said that before, and people always look at me like I'm crazy. Um, they used to go whaling in Nantucket, right? When, um, and so they would, back in the days before they had these giant industrial uh, ships, they would go out on a little wooden boat, and the guy in the front would wait for the whale to come up, and he would throw a harpoon at the whale, stick it in the whale, and then they would tie it to the front of the boat. And then the whale would finally wear itself out, and, uh, but the whale would go from underwater, above water, and the people in the boat would just have to kind of hang on, and they call that a Nantucket sleigh ride. And sometimes um, life can feel like a Nantucket sleigh ride. So sometimes you really have to fight for this. But, you know, again, this would be a, a, good, a good resolution for the new year. Each day I will thank you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, we have so much to be thankful for, ranging from the incredible material wealth we have in this country up into the character-building challenges we face. But in all of it, you know, we, we, we have, at, at the bottom of it all, we have the assurance of eternal life. And if, you know, if you want to learn more about that and you don't know what I'm talking about, come see me. Um, but there's... There's this powerful change that comes over us when we're, we're thankful. And we have, you know, we all have something to be thankful for. And even if the, the, thing we, the only thing we do have to be thankful for is Jesus, that's, that's a lot. But this is one thing I think you can, you can, again, I can do this. I will thank you. I will thank you. It says in Romans, it says, you know, the, 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 the glory of the heavens testify to your name. You know, you just go outside and look at the sky. You know, you can breathe air. <laughs> we have a sun, sunshine. You know, there's a beautiful city. Um, there's so much for us to be thankful for. There's no reason why we all can't do this. Each day I will listen to you. This is a little bit like the first one, but, you know, listening first is always a good idea. You know, this says God has a... Uh, still says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. So Isaiah is saying, I'm authentic. I'm authentic. I, I, I have the, the ability and the power to influence and to, you know, to stand in front of the, the learned and tell them something because he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear, awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Contemplate on that passage for a little while. Isaiah. So, every day, I will listen to you. Again, it sounds simple, but do you do it? How many times your prayer, um, your prayer time is just like a, uh, a list of demands? Or, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? 
um, you know, I gotta get something off my chest, something's bothering me, I gotta tell you about this. But do you take time to listen? I, I just took, this was really hard for me as a young believer to get my, my head around. This was really hard for me. You know, it was just like I'd open my mouth and rah. But you know, this is real wisdom. This is real wisdom. You know, each day I will listen to you. Just stop. Just stop. I know it's hard. Some of it's harder for some of us than others to just stop the Nantucket sleigh ride going on in your head. But that is something worth fighting for. And take it from someone who has struggled with this my whole life. You can do it. It takes a lot, though. I mean, you have to have the desire. As we said, you have to really want this. But you can do it. It is possible. It is possible. And again, you gotta, that's a journey that God loves to work with you. He loves it when you make those feeble attempts to honor him. Loves it, loves it, loves it. Okay, we're in the home stretch here. Each day I will look for you and others. This is the great uh, Mother Teresa motto. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So this is often talked about as seeing Jesus in the poor. That would be Mother Teresa's um, unique angle. But, you know, also everybody. Right? Look for the good in people. Look for, look for, you know, Jesus in the lives of others. This can be pretty challenging. I mean, we, we say this, it just kind of flies off our tongue. And I'm going to get to another one that's going to probably really bring it to, to, uh, to focus. Um, you know, this is, we're in this room here, but when you walk out of this room, how do you act? How do you, well, how do you look at people? There are some people who are deplorable, some people who are beneath us. You know, the, the, we, we say, but those do we have those attitudes? This is, you know, in this season, um, the kind of social discourse and the coarseness of it is, I mean, it's a curious time in our country's history. But it's getting a little out of control. And it's something I think we all need to be particularly sensitive to. So I'm, you know, I'll just give you some examples, right? This is a Trump um, uh, picture on the left side here under the love category. You have Donald Trump having a tender moment with a disabled war veteran. And on the right side, you have under the hate column, you have Hillary Clinton who's been photoshopped to look like the empress of perdition. Okay. Um, you know, this is, and this is the sort of stuff that we're all, we're all consuming regularly, okay? On the other side, here's this one. Jesus teaches us to love even Donald Trump. Okay, this, this is, this stuff kind of speaks for itself. You know, we need to do better. We, we, the church, we need to do better than this. And as they say, as you sow, so shall you reap. Right? In this particular period of history, depending on what we're sowing, if we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we're consuming this and actually agreeing with it or getting involved in it, there'll become a time when there'll be an opportunity for people to speak light and truth, for the church to have a voice. But if we continue to do this sort of stuff and embrace this and get engaged in it, I mean, you, you, you do have to have courage. I mean, I think you do need to be able to be part of the discourse. It's not like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my you know, computer out the window. You have to have the courage. You have to be informed. And you need to be able to speak to people. But you know, everyone wants a simple solution. Everybody wants a black and white answer in a world that isn't very black and white. And 
picking on, you know, you know, good guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. The only good guy is Jesus. So we need to really not take the bait here. We really need to not take the bait. We need to do better. So I'll leave you with this last one. Each day I will speak to others as if they were you. And I'm, I'm, I'm usually typically used to King James, but there are a couple of different uh, verses of this um, Ephesians one that really kind of, I think, uh, speak to it well. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Okay? That one stings, but um, for sure, and this is a little, you know, this one will take a little effort, but again, I think it's a worthwhile um, uh, endeavor. You know, and if we've convinced ourselves that it's okay that we can embrace this sort of dialogue, and if it's not actually aligning with this, it's not okay. It's not okay. You can have strong opinions. You, can have, you should have strong opinions. You should have strong beliefs about what's right and wrong. You should have strong opinions on candidates and policies, on the government. But you should be able to articulate it and to be involved in a discourse where you can honor this standard. Okay? And if you've convinced yourself that it's okay, let me just tell you, it's not. It's not. It's like, well, it's so important. Now uh, the world is in the balance. Do I have to go back to God as in control? God is in control. This is the standard he sets for us. And if you go back and start looking at some of the stuff that Paul was saying and the period of history that Paul was involved about authority and leadership and all those things, you will be depressed if you think somehow you have an out. You'll be really depressed. Okay, so I'm just going to um, wrap up. This is probably, you know, this, if, if this alone would be a great New Year's resolution. But I like the way the message ends it. I'm just going to leave you with this. You guys all know what the message is? The message is, um, uh, I forget what the guy's name is, but uh, boy, what a life's work. So he, he, wrote, um, he wrote the Bible in, in common language. And I haven't found too many things in it that I've like, looked at like, oh, he got it wrong. So think about that. The whole Bible, he, the whole Bible. And he wrote it in a way which is really, I think, you know, I always look at it. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that you use the message as your sole scriptural reference, but as far as putting it into um, kind of layman's terms or just a different view, I haven't found too many situations that are like, oh, that's wrong or that, that slants it. It's really, it's really kind of a, um, a, a real work of God, I think. So this is, this is where I'll end. This is Ephesians 4.29 per the message. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. So that's a challenge. That's a resolution I think we can all look at. And um, if you could do that one, you will probably be doing a lot to advance the kingdom of God next this year. And I'll, uh, I'll end on that. Thank you, Gary. Yes, this is your water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. I actually just want to 